Uh, good morning. My name is Joe Valenti, and I'm one of the uh, one of the student pastors here. I work with our middle schoolers, sixth all the way through twelfth grade. And I got several comments, so maybe you're having trouble recognizing me this morning. I don't have my flip flops on, and I decided to don a tie. I don't know. <laughs> Full moon last night, so uh, it it really, it really is me. Hi, everyone. Um, we are in a series called Empowered, where we are looking at the power of the Holy Spirit and what he empowers us to do. And uh, we live in a culture that is filled with books and talk like this. God is the gospel, right? The explicit gospel, the gospel commission, gospel deeps, the risky gospel, the ragamuffin gospel, and the little booklet, What is the Gospel?, we, like, if, if you roll around in evangelical Christianity at all, if, there's, if you're on Facebook and you follow any pastors or teachers, you read books, we are in this culture that, like, uses the word gospel ad nauseum. And I uh, am fearful that we have lost the core of what that word means, what it is, uh, because at the center of the gospel is information, right? We don't have time to hash out all of the details this morning, but the gospel is the message that God has fulfilled his promise to send a savior, to rescue broken people, restore creation's glory, and rule over all with compassion and justice. Or to put it even more succinctly, in 1 Timothy, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That is the gospel message. In the Bible, we see uh, the word gospel translated in English. What is behind that is the Greek, euangelion, which is, that's, that's the noun, which is good news. And then there's euangelizo, which is a verb that means to proclaim good news. And then euangelistes, which is the evangelist or one who proclaims the good news. So in every sense that that word is translated, it is information, it is good news to be proclaimed, to be said, to be written, to be taught. And there's an often quoted saying that says something to this effect, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And I think that's a stupid statement. <laughs> now, I understand the heart behind it is to like let Jesus, you know, let people see Jesus in your life, which is fine and good and well. We're going to talk about that. But it kind of, that, like, that sounds like to me, like, swim at all times, and if necessary, get in the water. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. The gospel is information. So it should say, preach the gospel at all times, and always use words. We have, we have been deceived, I think. One of, one of Satan's subtle ways of confusing us is by convincing us of a, of a social gospel, that says if you feed the hungry and clothe the poor and take care of orphans, that that is enough somehow to communicate the gospel. Now, I'm not taking things, anything away from those things. Those are Christ-honoring good things that are supposed to, as Rick, Pastor Rick Duncan has often said, give us goodwill with people so that we can share the good news. That ought to always be the end goal. But we have these phrases like live out the gospel or be the gospel, and those statements denigrate the importance that God has put on words. 
Do we want to reflect what we believe in our lives? Yes, of course. We do tons of things here at CVC to do that. Does, does the fruit of the Spirit need to be displayed in our lives to give us better opportunities to share the gospel? Yes, of course. But those things alone contain no information to which people can respond. And that's what I want to get at this morning with our text in Acts. We're going to be in Acts 4. And we're going to talk about the importance of proclaiming the gospel, talking, preaching, sharing. And I was thinking about this message because that's what we're mainly going to talk about in light of the Night to Shine video. And we have friends in our church and in the world and in our communities who have needs that are unique to them, have special needs. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, okay, what, what, what about people who can't hear? What about people who can't see? What about people whose brain function is a little bit different than ours? Like, how are we to proclaim the gospel? We are to proclaim the gospel. That's the answer, right? We, we live in a world where we have tons of technology. And so we can speak. We can do it with Braille. We can do it with computers and iPads and typing. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Heart transformation, in, like, Getting that information through the brain and to the heart is not your job, and it's not my job. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. And so as we consider that, I think it's important to address that. As we consider how, how do we continue to be a community of people who care deeply for everyone as we proclaim the gospel, we need to be, be, we need to be uh, in the practice of remembering that there is nothing that eliminates the call for us to proclaim the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. And so let's pray and we will get into Acts 4 this morning. Father, we thank you um, that we have your word and that we can look into it and know it and thereby know you and what you are like and what you demand of the world and what you have come to change in the world. We thank you that we can know Jesus and his work and his person and his sacrifice and what he offers. And so as we go to your word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to hear it. Those who have ears to hear, let, this, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. So would you help us this morning as we or empowered to proclaim the good news. Amen. If you are here last weekend, Pastor Chad was in uh, Acts 3, and if you uh, missed the message, basically what happens is Peter and John go into the temple. Uh, right outside the temple, they see a man who is lame, and he's asking for money, and they say, we don't have any money, but we're going to give you something better, and they heal him, and all the people are pretty excited, and so they start to crowd in, and so Peter jumps up on the porch of Solomon's portico like this. I like this better. Uh, and he starts to preach, and he preaches Jesus. And then here we are in chapter four. The story is just continuing. Same, same setup. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them 
and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So if you're taking notes this morning, my first point is the Holy Spirit empowers us to proclaim the offensive gospel. You'll notice in our text as they continue to preach that there are two responses. The first response is the chief priests and the Sadducees and all the other religious uppity-ups are greatly annoyed. They're bothered by the message. They're specifically bothered by the portion of the message that is the resurrection in Jesus. And they're bothered by this because they, they don't believe in resurrection from the dead. So they're not buying that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And they're not buying that if we give our lives to Jesus, we can be resurrected. And so they're greatly annoyed by it. But then if you go a couple more verses, but some who heard the word believed. And so as we look at this message, this gospel, the fact that Jesus has come to save sinners, I think we need to embrace a little more fully the fact that there will be lots of people who will be offended by the message of Jesus. There will be lots of people who don't like the fact that what what Christianity shares, what the message of Jesus shares, what the gospel is, is that we are broken people. There's something wrong with us. And the problem is sin, and it goes really deep, so deep that we can't fix ourselves, and we need somebody else. We need Jesus to come and live a perfect life and die in our place so that we can have a, a restored relationship with God. I've heard it said often, oh, Christianity is a crutch. Yes. It's a wheelchair, whatever you want to call it. Christianity takes people who would otherwise not be able to get to God to him. It is all of the above. People will be annoyed by those things, but some will believe. And in order for them to believe, we have to speak the good news. We have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We have to get information out of our mouths about Jesus that's probably going to make some people angry. But so often, we are bothered by that to the point that we decide not to share it. We are concerned that if we tell people this news that they are broken and bound for hell without Christ, that our friend won't like us anymore. Or that the next time we get together for a family birthday or Easter, it's going to be really uneasy because Aunt Janice doesn't like Jesus, and now she's going to, you know. Sorry if her name's Janice. (laughs) We get worried that our reputation at school or at work or in the gym or in our neighborhood will be ruined, and so we hide behind that. Now, as we go through this morning, I want to raise my hand and say I have a hard time in this area. This has been exceedingly convicting for me because I could do this all day. Put me up on a stage and nobody talks back to me, I'm good. (laughs) Put me one-on-one and I get a little more antsy. So like I'm preaching this to myself as I preach it to you, but we need to be people who are willing to put our reputations on the line because it's going to be offensive. The Bible tells us over and over and over and over again that people aren't going to like it. But some will believe. Mike Shipman is an evangelist, and he's a hero of mine, and he wrote a book called Any Three, and it's about evangelism, and he says that one of the biggest inhibitors to gospel conversations is friendship. Here's what he says. 
Being a great friend is great, but a lost person shouldn't have to become my personal friend to hear about Jesus from me. Isn't that good? Write that down. Being a friend is great, but a lost person shouldn't have to become my personal friend to hear about Jesus from me. I might be introverted or socially awkward. We may have differing personalities or interests. We may not be going to be friends. They may not have time to befriend me. They may feel uncomfortable with me or more comfortable relating with someone in their own culture. I may intimidate them. Even so, everyone deserves to hear the gospel. If we share the gospel immediately when we meet people, we can be certain that those who become our friends will at least know the gospel and know our commitment to it right from the beginning. Otherwise, we may spend years developing a friendship before sharing the gospel only to discover that our friend is not interested or that they are bothered that we have not shared it with them yet. So I wonder, are you, are you afraid to share the gospel because it might offend somebody? And how long, how good of a friend do you have to be until you share it? At what point do you get there? Six months, a year, lifetime? Some of us, sadly, and I have had this experience, we don't share the gospel with somebody until they're on their deathbed. Shame on us. Now, on the other side of the coin, you might be sitting here and you're thinking, oh, hey, not me, man. I'm sharing the gospel all the time. And maybe that's true, but maybe that's all you do. All you do is talk to people about how they're sinners and they're going to die and go to hell. And you don't care at all about their families. You don't care at all about meeting their needs. You don't care at all about much of anything else. And so the gospel is not offensive. You are. You're just annoying. I'm dead serious. Like there are people, like sometimes I get on Facebook and I just want to go, shut up. Just be quiet. You're so offensive and annoying. And so like, here's the point. The gospel message is going to offend people. We ought to be fine with that, but we ought to not be the people who are offensive, right? There's a difference there between being rude and arrogant and thinking that your way is the right way or that you're somehow better looking down our nose at people. The gospel message is offensive. We ought to not be offensive. Too many Christians, here's, I'm gonna jump up on the soapbox here. Too many Christians talk ad nauseum about homosexuality, war, Donald Trump, Islam, common core education, and gun control more than they spend time talking about Jesus. We can have a three-hour conversation about politics, but you can't hold a conversation for three minutes about Jesus. That's a joke. I wonder, I wonder what things would have been like if Peter and John would have got up on Solomon's portico and been like, oh, down with the Pharisees, down with the Sadducees, down with the institution, no new taxes. You know how many people would have responded to the gospel? Zero. You know how many would have believed what this story would have been like? And zero believed. Why? Because they presented no information to which people could respond and be saved. Are those things important for us to engage in? Sure. Should we engage in our communities and our government and care about the education that our kids get and how all of this stuff impacts our world and our families? Yes. 
It is not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. The good news that there is salvation in Christ is ultimate. So if, you, if, if you're bypassing him or using him, using Jesus as a way to push your agenda, you're off the rails. We spend way too much time on things that have no bearing on eternity. In Philippians 1, Paul reminds us that we ought to let our manner of living be worthy of the gospel, but our manner of living is not the gospel. So we have to do both. Live lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, coming out so that we might earn a hearing and share the good news of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're on one of these two sides of the coin. Are you afraid of people because they might be annoyed with the gospel? Or are you afraid, or, or are people afraid of you because you're annoying with the gospel? The Holy Spirit empowers us to proclaim the offensive gospel, parentheses, not to be offensive people. Point number two, the Holy Spirit empowers us to proclaim the exclusive gospel. Verse five, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? They're speaking of uh, the healing of the lame man. Verse eight, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, underline that, highlight it. If you don't highlight in your Bible, highlight your neighbor's Bible. They're going to need that. He said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, what happens a lot of the time is for those of us who struggle with being afraid of the offensive gospel, being afraid that we were going to offend someone, that we water down the gospel, we doll it up, we try to flower it up so that it is not as offensive as it is meant to be, and it becomes no gospel at all. It becomes an anti-gospel. In 2005, pastor and author Joel Osteen was a guest on the Larry King Show, and Joel Osteen happens to be a master at watering down the gospel. And here's what he says. We do have rules, but the main rule to me is to honor God with your life, to live a life of integrity, not to be selfish, you know, help others. But that's really the essence of the Christian faith. This makes me want to just throw the table across the room. King responds that we live in deeds. Osteen, I don't know. What do you mean by that? King, well, we've had ministers on who've said that your record doesn't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ, you are going to heaven. And if you don't, no matter what you've done in your life, you aren't. Osteen, yeah, I don't know. There's probably a balance between. 
king? What if you're Jewish or Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? Osteen, you know, I'm very careful about saying who would and who wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know, trailing off. King, if you believe you have to believe in Christ, they're wrong, aren't they? Osteen, well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe there's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, that's what I believe. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God, and I don't know. I've seen their sincerity, so I don't know. (laughs) Theme, I know for me and what the Bible teaches, so I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Just as I'm, it just makes my blood boil. This sort of talk has has become so common in American Christianity, and it's an absolute lie. I love that Peter stands here in front of all the religious people and says, There is salvation in no other name but Jesus. But sadly, yeah, amen. Sadly, our Christian culture has started to water down that gospel. And so we have become afraid to take a stand on the inerrancy of the Bible. We are afraid to take a stand on the fact that other religions in their practices and truth claims are incorrect. We are afraid to say that there is only one way to heaven, and that is through the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm, and I'm, continually, I'm continually baffled by our, our fear at talking about hell. When did hell become so scary of a word for us to use? There's an atheist, his name is J.M. Wheeler, and he wrote a book called The Christian Doctrine of Hell. And he says this, Christians are becoming ashamed of their hell, which they rarely realize as possibly the fate of themselves or their friends. They cannot get rid of the definite statements in the New Testament, but they avoid dwelling on them or they attempt to construe them figuratively. Hell was hot when religion was powerful, but as it declines, it is discovered that hell is not so terrible after all. In the conclusion of his book, he says, the rejection of hell cuts the ground from under the gospel. Salvation supposes damnation. If there is no hell, no savior is needed. There is a hell and it's real and it's not cute and it's not funny and it's not a joke. And if people have not given their lives to Jesus, they will go there forever and it will be miserable. And I think we ought to have a really good theology understanding of hell in our brains and in our hearts because I think it fuels gospel proclamation. If we're looking at people and we think, oh, they're okay, they won't really go to hell or they'll go to some in-betweeny spot to hang out for a while, then it's, then it's easy to not proclaim. But if we look at people through the lens of thinking, my friend, my family member, my coworker, my son, my daughter, my mom, my dad, my uncle, if they don't come into relationship with Jesus, they're going to go to hell forever, separated from God. If that doesn't give you fuel to proclaim the gospel, I don't know what will. There is salvation in no one else but Jesus. This is an exclusive claim. Every other religion, every other fake God is wrong, and I'm not afraid to say that. 
The Holy Spirit empowers us to proclaim the offensive gospel and the exclusive gospel, that salvation is in Christ alone. Now, I want to do a little parentheses on this sermon before my third point, and I want to answer the question, who? Who is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these things? Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So if you know the Bible story, Peter and John are fishermen. They were uneducated. They never went to religious school. They don't know, you know, all the prayers. They probably didn't have a whole bunch of scripture memorized. They were just plain Janes that Jesus, he's walking on the beach. I read this with my son the other morning. They're walking on the beach and he says, hey, come on. I'm going to make you a different kind of fisherman. We're going to go fish for people instead of perch, whatever you catch in the Middle East. (laughs) And so they do. And I'll be honest, like, you know, I love to hang out with Josh Stone and the other pastors. And, you know, we have interns that are fresh out of Bible college. And we talk about big words and big theological distinctives and the substitutionary atonement and imputed righteousness and the chiastic structure of Hebrew poetry and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, most of you are like, boring. Like, if you would sit in some of those conversations, you might want to shove a pencil in your eye. <laughs> because, you know, yeah. But here's, here's the important part. None of that is necessary. You don't need big books or degrees on the wall to understand the gospel message of Jesus Christ, right? The Westminster Confession says that uh, everything that is necessary for salvation and relationship with Jesus can be understood by a cursory reading of the Bible, that the Holy Spirit can work in and through your heart and life to do what is necessary. But, Notice that this is not without work, okay? It's not just like, oh, well, hey, I'm a common person and just going about life. They recognize they're not educated, but they had been with Jesus. And so what it takes for us to know him, to have the information essential To know the gospel for ourselves and to proclaim it is to spend time with Jesus. Now, these men sat at his feet and hung out with him and did all sorts of, saw all sorts of wonderful things. And we have the, if you open up the Bible, right? I have it digitally, so I can't. If we open up the Bible, we can do the same thing. We can see Jesus and we can watch his miracles. We can hear him teach directly to us. We can sit at his feet. And we can pray and communicate with us and he hears us. And so you don't have to be special. If you're here this morning, you go, ah, yeah, that gospel proclamation, that's for you, pastor. No, it's for you. No matter what walk of life you came from, no matter how much money you make, no matter what kind of clothes you wear, if you're eight or you're 80, gospel proclamation is the responsibility of all of us. That's the who. The Holy Spirit empowers us, all of us, to proclaim the offensive gospel, the exclusive gospel, and finally, the forbidden gospel. Verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? 
For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. So to set the scene... They're there, they proclaim this news, this exclusive gospel in Jesus Christ. And the, the Pharisees, or sorry, the Sadducees and the high priests and the other guys that are in the, in, the, in the room basically say, hey, all the people are excited about this. They saw this, so we can't really cover it up. We're just gonna, they kind of do a sidebar and hey, don't talk about Jesus anymore. No more preaching, no more healing in Jesus' name. And Peter and John go, sorry, folks, that's not gonna happen. You can figure out what's legal and what's right, but we can't stop talking about the things that we have seen and heard. Sometimes the gospel calls for us to go against the rules. Now, it is not always the case because there are commands in the Bible about how we ought to respond to government and authority. However, when the government or institution directly forbids us to do something or forces us to do something that God has said otherwise, so if the government forbids something that God commands us to do, or if the government commands something that God has told us not to do, we have a responsibility to hold our first allegiance to Christ. There's a lyric by one of my favorite singers, Derek Webb, and he says this, my first allegiance is not to a flag or a country or a man. My first allegiance is not to democracy or blood. It's to a king and a kingdom. Now, I love America, being part of this country, being a citizen here. I have a lot of freedoms to proclaim the gospel, and I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for the many who have given their lives for our freedom. I'm thankful for my grandfather and my father who have fought in defense of our country. And I hold those things and those allegiances close, but they are not my first allegiance. My first allegiance is not to the United States, and nor should yours be. Our first allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. And we have, we have bought into some wacky idea that being American and Christian are somehow intertwined. Because we have freedoms and because of the Judeo-Christian values that our country was founded on, we have, we have linked Christianity and being American. And it's dangerous because the Bible tells us there will be one kingdom that is standing in the end, and America won't be it. In the end, there will be one throne. There will be no democracy. There will be no president. There will be no legislator. There will be one ruler, and his name will be Jesus Christ, and every knee will bow to his lordship. And so... 
We ought to act as if though we are first citizens of that kingdom. Can we influence government? Sure. Is government going to save us? No. Look at history. Has that ever been the answer? Just look at the life of Jesus. That's what the Jews thought. They thought that Jesus was going to come in and sit on a throne, a literal throne, and change things. And he stands before Pilate, and Pilate goes, hey, are you a king? And he goes, you don't, you don't have a clue. My kingdom's not of this world. And Pilate's terribly confused. We get, we get really concerned about our government and... Our government is not going to be the end-all, be-all. Our government is not going to fix anything, and our government is not going to save anybody. Jesus is going to save, and Jesus will be the only kingdom standing. The history of Christianity has been one of persecution in every way, shape, and form. And While we live in America with many freedoms, unfortunately, there are many brothers and sisters across the world who are in trouble, who have died, who are being persecuted because they are willing to share the forbidden gospel. Current estimates are that there were more than 26 million documented cases of Christian martyrdom in the 20th century. That stat means that there were more Christians murdered in the 20th century for being a Christian than the other 19 centuries combined back to Jesus. More than 20 million Christians around the world face persecution and imprisonment every day, torture because they continue to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand for a gospel that is forbidden, either by a government or another religious system. Over 100,000 people, many Christians, are believed to be imprisoned in North Korea's death camps today. In both Sudan and Nigeria, Islamic extremists continue to murder millions who will not convert to Islam, and instead they hold firmly to a forbidden gospel. In Saudi Arabia, any citizen who converts to Christianity is subject to the death penalty. And listen to this. I just read an article Thursday afternoon. More Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ than in any time in history. Hallelujah. How can this be? With 20 million plus Christians murdered in the 20th century, with all of this persecution happening all over the world, how can it be that people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in record numbers? It is this because the Holy Spirit has empowered people to preach a forbidden gospel, a gospel that their government says no to, a gospel that the prevailing religious system says no to, and they're not afraid of it, and power of the Holy Spirit comes out of their mouth, and just like in Acts 4, some believe. Shame on us in America who are worried about the offensive gospel. When we have brothers and sisters all over the world who are preaching a forbidden or an illegal gospel. Do you see the point here? The point is that you and I are not the main thing. The Holy Spirit 
has the power to put into people's hearts that there is salvation in no other name. And all we need to do is be obedient to speak it, to proclaim it, to be empowered to do it, to stop being sissies with the gospel. I want to encourage you, if you are not linked in with the information about the persecuted church around the world, to do so. You can go to opendoorusa.org or you can go to persecution.com and you can see the different things that are happening around the world. You can join in prayer. You can take uh, legal action in some ways to sign petitions and you can support monetarily. But more than that, when, I, when we read these stories, when we hear about what is happening to our brothers and sisters around the world, it ought to drive deep into us a deeper desire to proclaim the gospel because our persecutions here in America are minimal to what people are experiencing around the world. Friends, we ought not to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul reminds us, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. And yet we, oh man, do we hide. Lord, forgive us. We hide behind friendship and comfortability and a hundred other things. There may be a time when we don't experience the freedoms that we do in America. There may be a time when work calls you somewhere else. There may be a time when you are asked to be a missionary where the gospel is forbidden or illegal. And I just wonder, if you can't handle or share the offensive gospel, how are you ever going to share a forbidden gospel? How are you ever going to share an illegal gospel? As we close, maybe you're here this morning and you've never responded to the gospel. You've never given your life to Jesus. And so I just want to explain it as quickly and as clearly as I can. The good news of Jesus, the story of God is this, that humans have messed up. We have a problem and that problem is called sin. And every time we do something that is, that is contrary to God's demands in the Bible, we, we sin. And that sin causes separation between us and God. And because God is holy and because God is perfect, he cannot have communion. He cannot have relationship with sin. But God offered a solution to our problem. He had a great plan always. And his plan was to send his son, Jesus. And Philippians tells us that Jesus left the comforts of, of heaven, of being God, and he came and he put on human flesh and he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never succumbed to temptation. And he then allowed the Romans to march him up a hill and they crucified him on a cross. And when they crucified him on that cross, because he had never sinned, he was able to take the penalty and the punishment for your sin and for my sin for all time. And three days later, he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead and he conquered death and sin forever, offering to you and me, if we would repent of our sins and turn away from our sins and turn to Jesus, give, give him our lives, lay ourselves down and say, I, I need help, I need a crutch, I need something, that he will come into us, he will send the Holy Spirit to empower us and change our lives, to live both differently here and save us for eternity. That's the good news of the gospel. It's the best news you'll hear today, I guarantee it.
And if you've never responded to that, you need to know that you are loved by the God of the universe. And that he's calling to you, come. In, in this moment, as I'm proclaiming to you the good news, the Holy Spirit has the power to do something into your heart and to make you go, oh yeah, that's what I need. And my prayer for this morning is that, like happens in chapter four, verse four, that many would believe. For those of you who have given your lives to Jesus, my challenge to you is to be proclaimers of the gospel. God has ordained that the gospel message move forward by way of you and I speaking it to people. Romans 10 reminds us, how will they hear unless someone is sent to speak to them? So by faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So CVC, let us not just be people who do good things. I love the food drive. I love our missions endeavors. I love that we feed hungry people and clothe naked people and take care of orphans and do all the different ministries that we do. Hallelujah. But let us not disconnect them from the information of the gospel. If we are just taking food and neglecting the in the name of Jesus part, we're missing the boat. I'll go a step further to say if that's what we do, if that's what you do in your missions, it is inherently unchristian. We need to be people who will be proclaimers of the gospel because the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus have the power to save. Let us remember James's words to the persecuted church, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for coming for us to rescue us when you didn't have to. I think often we are caught thinking that we are deserving of something. Caught thinking that God had to come and save us, Jesus, that you had to come and offer your life, but you didn't. You didn't have to. You could have left us here to die. But you didn't. You left the comforts of heaven and you took on the temptations of Satan in this world and you took on the Roman establishment and you took on the religious people and you hung on a cross that we might experience new life through the death and resurrection of you. And you've sent the Holy Spirit to empower us not just to be good people, not only to change us from the inside out, not only to exhibit love and joy and peace and patience, but to be to take those things and to be proclaimers of the good news so that others might come into relationship with you as well, so that a lost world would see that there is salvation, saving, rescue in Jesus Christ. So give us boldness 
as you did to Peter and John to proclaim an offensive gospel. Give us clarity. Help us to spend time at your feet that we might proclaim the exclusive gospel, that there is no other system or religion or person that offers what Jesus does. And God, I pray that when we are called on to proclaim a gospel that is forbidden or illegal, that we would do so with passion and with power. I pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters around the world who are undergoing persecution that we do not know yet. Help them, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit to feel our prayers and our, our love and our encouragement to them today. And as they proclaim a forbidden, a forbidden gospel, would you empower their words that many would hear and believe. And as we go into the world and into the United States, into our families, our offices, and our homes, help us to be proclaimers of the gospel that some might believe. Amen.